0: And what we'd like to know is just this, how you stand, whether you're for integration or against it. Well, that's a stupid question, young man. I'm a southerner. <laughs> sit down, sit down. Thank you. See, I was born and raised in these parts. <clears throat> so were my folks. That is, you're against it. Well, of course I'm against it. What's the matter with you? Well, i just like to get it straight. You see, sir, our organization agrees with you. We believe this ruling to be one of the greatest wrongs the government has ever perpetrated. Yeah, it's a shame, all right, but what can we do fight we did we lost it's a law now whose law i thought this was a democracy and i thought a democracy was based on the collective will of the people
1: sure of course sure
0: and is it the collective will of the people that Negroes should be allowed to mix with whites right under the same roof study with them eat with them maybe even sleep with them Is it the collective will of the people that niggers should be allowed to take over the whole world? Because that's what's going to happen, Mr. Shipman. You think it can be stopped? With your help, I'm sure.
2: Legally? Start talking, my boy.
3: Beef Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Hill. Uh, X cannot make it tonight for some crazy reason. We got our wires crossed in the scheduling. But with me tonight is one half of the Projection Booth Podcast, Mr. Rob St. Mary. How are you doing, sir?
4: Hello, sir. Thank you for uh, welcoming me into uh, the butcher shop of the Cinema Beef uh, Podcast.
3: Oh, you're very welcome, sir. You uh, you put on a legitimate show that I enjoy. So
4: it's, Thank a, you.
3: it's a pleasure to have you. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just in case I haven't pushed your showing up on my show, um, tell the folks
4: about what you do. Well, the Projection Booth is a film-a-week podcast. We pick one movie, and we do as deep of a dive as we can, along with my co-host, Mr. Mike White. So uh, we'll pick a movie, and then we try to get everyone who's living or people who have written about the film or have uh, some background knowledge in the um, maybe the theme that's in that film in some way. And give you a little bit more uh, of a uh, background and interest and in what's going on with that movie. So uh, we've been doing it, uh, I think, almost four years, uh, Projection Booth, and I've been on it just about three, and uh, it's been a great honor to do it. I was added in after the uh, original co-host left, and uh, Mike and I, we have a lot of fun, and I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of great folks, uh, some heroes of mine such as uh, robert downey senior and uh william friedkin and um all kinds of uh lesser known imps and in, in the film industry uh recently we've done some great uh, episodes and some long ones we just got noticed uh our, our seven hour conan show which uh, i took the week off but uh Mike was a trooper and put that thing together. So if, if you ever need to know anything about Conan, just go to projection-booth.com and uh, you'll be all set. It's like a, you know, a master's thesis. But I'd say most of our shows usually range from about uh, an hour to about four hours depending on um, how many people we get. And we take the old fight club rule. The uh, podcast only goes on as long as it has to. So there you go. Yeah,
3: that Conan show was pretty epic, pretty – it, it was a good seven hours.
4: Yeah, and, and people overuse that word quite a bit, but that was literally epic. That's the longest show we've ever done. So there you go.
3: Um. because yeah, I really enjoy your show, and uh, and Thank I, I, I so it keeps coming back. And even even movies, I don't even, I don't know. I got you, I got Silva and Gold and stuff like those. Those crazy guys that like to call it the muscle to <laughs> tell me about films that I perhaps should be watching, and I, uh, I appreciate you guys greatly for that. You know. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, we uh, we don't specialize in any one particular thing, so it's not like it's all horror movies or all sci-fi film or things like that i mean we're all over the place so we've done everything from you know classic adult films to trash to b movies in the 50s to you know foreign art house movies so i mean it's all over the place and uh you know just to kind of give you an idea of the uh the range you're going to get mike's favorite film of all time is Graydon clark's black shampoo my favorite film of all time is louis Buñuel's the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie so in between there is what you're getting
3: I've seen one of those movies before. (laughs) This got Mike White's name on the cover, so... There you go. Uh, This is the general point where I ask you, uh, what stands out what you've been watching lately?
4: Oh, man, I've just been watching a lot of stuff for the show. So um, recently, uh, I think, watched, maybe for the first time, or if I did, I saw it as a little kid, um, uh, Logan's Run, and uh, watched uh, Rollerball, and I can't tell you... Uh, just how horrible the John McTiernan remake is—it is terrible. So uh, stay away from that. Watch the original one. I know some people think the original Rollerball is a little slow, but I think uh, I think it's still quite good and it holds up. So I I have a big love of uh, 70s film, which I categorize as basically stuff released between about 1966 and 1983. So that I think is the last great era. Of American film, so.
3: Yeah, McTurney did a real good job of sucking the heart out of a great Ugh. film. He just the... he just squeezed it out of it as much as he possibly could. Oh, because... <laughs>
4: uh, It's terrible. And, um, you know, all the social commentary is gone. The, the best part of that film, I have to say, and I'm not even a huge wrestling fan, is um, uh, Paul, what's his name? Paul Heyman, yeah. who's the uh, ring announcer. Yes. Uh, who I think he founded ECW or something, and he's in there and he's doing the play-by-play, and he's the best part of the movie. I mean, I mean they should just give him the whole movie. You know, forget Jean Renault and that other kid who was in American Pie. I mean, come on, just make it the Paul Heyman film.
3: Yeah, I, I forgot he was in it actually, but you, you're correct about Paul Heyman because he's <laughs> he's like the Lloyd Kaufman of wrestling. Yeah. He he's a sh- sh- no nah, shameless self-promoter. He puts himself out there and makes it this extremely uh, big character and yeah. He pulls punch bunch with that rollerball, but I forgot he was in it though. See that yeah. is, that's that's what's that's what's so bad. Like there's nothing where you can't remember one of the greatest <laughs> things in wrestling ever being Paul Haven. If you're a wrestling fan, I am a wrestling fan, that's how bad the movie is, you know. Yeah.
4: Yeah, and, and it's nice that you called him the uh, the Lloyd Kaufman of wrestling. <laughs> That's what that uh, is, yeah. You know. Lloyd, Lloyd's a great friend of mine and was kind enough to save my sanity back in 1998 by picking up my little uh, vampire comedy and putting it out for trauma. at the time. Remember VHS tapes, kids? Oh, my God. And um, since then, it's now out on DVD, so it's pretty cool. It's a little movie called Tainted, and um, if you want to watch it, I think it's on YouTube, so uh and uh, I, I did a drunken commentary last year with Mike for it, so you can find that also at Projection-booth.com.
3: Great. Uh, anything particularly uh, bad you watch lately?
4: Uh, trying to think. What was it like? I, you know, it, this week has been kind of a blur because uh, I, I learned that I can't party like I used to. Uh, getting into your late 30s is kind of... Uh, you know, you know, you can't go out on a school night and do that anymore. Uh, so I can't really think of anything bad that I've seen recently. Um, I mean, like, bad, bad. I don't mean, like, so bad it's good.
3: Yeah. So, I watch a lot of those.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love so bad it's good, but I can't think of anything, like, really horrible that I watched recently. But I'm sure maybe I'll find something at some point. <laughs> My brain is completely engaged. It's been a long week.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as I go, and I mentioned this to you off the air, that I've been building my digital collection through disc to Digital from other people. And somebody had on their list, they had Xanadu. And I haven't seen Xanadu since I was like four years old. And it's been a long, long time since I've seen Xanadu. And I'm a big ELO fan. And I don't know why I kept watching it for her. Maybe because the lady Dune John's hair is just so inviting in that movie, and she's gorgeous. <laughs> I, I I should have turned it off when, when they took um oh who's in that Jean Kelly shopping for clothes. I should have turned it off then but I couldn't stop watching it. Train wreck. It, it could have been the Don Bluth animation or uh <laughs> the, the, the ELO soundtrack, which is two things that I love about that movie, which you know it's
4: God I can't uh, I can't remember what film it is, but um uh, I think it was Kenneth Anger used the xanadu soundtrack and put it against one of his um one of his underground films and it was supposed to be pretty brilliant but i can't remember what film it is and it's so which is sad because i'm a pretty big kenneth anger fan i'll
3: look that up and i'll see <laughs> yeah. so but i i i made a comment because i
4: started
5: watching
3: it at 12:30 in the morning i was getting up to do my paperwork and I was like, it's this 1230 and I'm watching Xanadu because I hate myself. You know, I was <laughs> I was like, fuck it, give me some skates and crank up the yellow. I'm all in
4: uh, now. You know, I, I think maybe like Xanadu could be a good like double feature with like the Apple or something, or um or maybe um you know, Can't Stop the Music. You know? We
3: just did that Oh, oh yeah. you
4: know what's bad? You want to talk about that era now that I'm thinking of Can't Stop the Music, which I'm thinking about disco film is I had to watch um, Staying Alive recently.
5: Oh, yeah.
4: Holy God, is that thing terrible. <laughs> like, and it's, uh, yeah, oof. Like, uh, we, we talk about it. We did uh Saturday Night Fever episode at the beginning of the year in January, and I was just completely blown away by how horrible Staying Alive is compared to the to Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> and, uh yeah.
3: he wants to to strut, man that's all he wants to do you know well the thing
4: with that film is that it's like it totally forgot that anything happened in the first movie so like any character growth that Travolta's character had from you know five years before has been totally like wiped away so
3: he's just back
4: to being a superficial asshole again see yeah exactly he's just a you know working class you know guido from um, Brooklyn so (laughs) terrible
3: I've been watching some some animated stuff because I've been scratching stuff off my Voodoo account. I've been I watched both How to Train Your Dragon films because those are I watched the first one so naturally I had to go right into the second one because I enjoyed the first one so much.
5: Mm-hmm. It's just
3: fun animation. Yeah, you know, I, I enjoy those kind of things. I, I talked about Big Hero 6 on the last episode and how much I enjoyed that. Uh, I don't. I now own Free Jack in, in HD, so I watch that. I enjoy. I enjoy right. that stupid movie. Just, uh, well.
4: Speaking of Free Jack, we have uh, Jeff Murphy on the show this week. Oh, nice. So, um, he's talking about Quiet Earth, but um, which was his uh, New Zealand film from 85. It's quite good. End of the uh, sort of like uh, Last Man on Earth kind of movie.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: But um, Mike does get him to talk a little bit about Free Jack, and it's pretty funny in there, uh, some of the stories he tells. So.
3: See, the problem with the, that early 90s sci-fi action horror, whenever they were using the early, early green screen, Mm-hmm. that's pretty apparent, especially when you watch it in like HD. And I watched Free Jack in HD for the first time. And there's the scene where he's being pursued by Mick Jagger's character. And you just see that the crash is fake. And I was like, no, don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it,
4: it, we've talked about this before on the show. And it's like sometimes certain movies don't deserve to look that good. Like the fact that they look kind of beat up and shitty actually lends a certain, you know, aspect to them. So I don't know, maybe watching free Jack on VHS is actually better than watching a cleaned up version of it. Cause then the effects don't look as bad.
3: Oh, it's still all in. It's just, you know, that, that like little stuff like that. You see it apparent in like dark man, he's <laughs> swinging from the, like the chains and stuff. You see how badly green screen that is. And yeah. It just was that point in time when in movies were doing stuff like that. And, I'm at them. It's still an enjoyable experience. It's
4: real dumb, like I said. But
3: it's still an enjoyable experience for me. Yeah, plot, I mean, it, the plot is
4: paper pen. I'd have to say that's probably a similar to going back and looking at movies from the '40s through the '60s and seeing like shifting mats. Mm-hmm. You know, like they have a mat shot and it's kind of wobbly and it doesn't quite fit right, or it's like so obvious miniature kind of thing. You know, so Agent there's dude. a certain there's a certain charm to that, but at the same time, it can be corny. Don't
3: forget Commando. You know those <laughs> models in that movie. Oh boy! <laughs> oh there
5: you
3: my go. God. But uh, I guess we'll shoot right into our uh, beeps of the week after that. This uh, is it. Our beeps of the week. Rob, do you have a beep of the week at all?
4: Yeah, I'm just taking it out on myself. Um, when you get to be in your uh... You know, late 30s, don't go out drinking until like 2 in the morning on a Wednesday if you got to get up early on Thursday morning. Just a little bit of advice to the kids uh, because you're not going to be able to recover and I still kind of feel like I'm paying for it on Friday as I'm talking to you. So there you go. It's not that I didn't have fun. That's just my own personal beef. i got to chill out and not, uh, not get crazy on a Wednesday, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have
3: much to complain about this week, actually. Just, it's one of those happy go lucky weeks, I guess. And I let I, led, I led the pretty big beef out last week about about people who people who know maybe me. No, not really though. Just superficial folks that you know, too big for the britches, I guess. And and uh, yeah. But from there I guess we'll move into our movie discussions, I guess. The show theme for this week is T V icons Gone Mad. When John Ass's case in this movie gone kinda mellow. I kinda dropped the ball on that one, but we're gonna talk about it anyway. Well, the first one we're going to talk about is from the Lolo uh, era of 1962. It's a Roger Corman joint, known as was the Intruder. And uh, we'll get into that right after the trailer.
2: This man, take a good look at him. He's a specialist. He knows exactly how to turn this quiet town into a hell of
0: violence. The Negroes will literally, and I do mean literally, control the zone! They are willing to fight down to the last ditch and keep fighting until this thing is over?
2: The Intruder. He made the sleepy town of Caxton his town for his reason. He played on their fears and their hatreds. This town became a headline for The Intruder. He brought an end to innocence. He exploited a woman's weakness. He turned neighbor against neighbor.
0: How come you walked that bunch of black niggas to our white school? I don't see anything I do is any business of yours. And sooner or later it would happen.
2: He would make it happen.
0: Over here. (laughs) You were alone with a white girl in the basement of the school. But you didn't try to do anything. Is that what you expect us to believe, nigger? the Pinkett!
3: Cheapo Synopsis The Intruder from 1962. Uh, a 7.8 on IMDB. A man in a gleaming white suit comes to a small southern town on the eve of, the, of integration. He calls himself a social reformer. Boy, he does a stir of trouble trouble suit. Stir-up trouble. Trouble he soon finds he can't control. Sorry about that. Uh, your core cast of people you might know. You probably know exactly more than I would, so I'll let you do this for me. Uh, Rob, you can do this... uh. William Shatner said they get your main star of this film. Oh, sure. Any other actors you recognize or from Old Hollywood?
4: Uh, you know, I really wasn't paying too close attention as to who was who. Um, I I mean, whenever you watch a Corman film, you're always trying to look for faces that you might remember. I mean, <laughs> it's always the uh, play, uh, let's spot Dick Miller game, but sadly, no Dick Miller. Uh, <laughs> This was my first chance watching The Intruder, and it was one that had been on my list for a while, but I had never gotten around to see it.
3: Yeah, what really stood out to me was, you know, of course, Corman and Shatner, but the writer of the film, uh, Charles Beaumont, Who's a Twilight Zone guy? So I, I was all over that, and this is right in the the Honeyhole Twilight Zone era. I think right around season four when they this was written season three, right in that era, and um, I really enjoy that that aspect of it. So because it really felt like a surreal experience. But I'll let you start out, sir. Uh What are your your first thoughts? Your initial thoughts on the Intruder?
4: Well, I mean, for me, it's kind of the perfect film to watch. Uh, I would say uh, this week or this month. Because we just had the 50th anniversary of the uh, march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge down in Selma, Alabama and the, all of that stuff. So, I mean, this is a movie that was taking place in that era. And when you think about it, it's kind of brave because Corman went down to the South and he did a film about segregation in the South. And it it plays really well in that era. So it's, it, it's interesting to watch it from that historical perspective. For me, I mean, when I talk about uh, Shatner in here, it is an amazing piece to watch because I think of the two movies that I've seen with Shatner before he played Kirk, and was this one and Incubus, which is the uh, Esperanto movie. If you haven't seen that one, you should probably check it out. It's a weird little horror film from late from the mid '60s, and um, he is really a very fine actor. Uh, much more than I think people give him credit for in terms of the, uh, I guess the cliche. Oh, what are we doing? Delivery? That choppy, you know, Shatner-esque uh, Star War, you know, Star Trek delivery there, and that's always been made fun of. But I think he's really, really uh, amazing in the Intruder. And uh, as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, why hasn't like Criterion or somebody like picked up this movie <sighs> and done really? really nice treatment on it because it would really make sense to do it because there's so many things that you can do with this film in terms of an actual really nice release. And uh, luckily Corman and Shatner still alive and you could do some really awesome features with them. But uh, I I don't know if it's uh, a value to anyone on that level, sadly.
3: Yeah. For me, I thought this film was really ballsy for 62 just to throw it all on the table you see this very white man in his very white suit come into this town on a bus because he hears that 10 black kids are being integrated into this all-white high school. And he wanted to see, just to go down there and see what he could stir up amongst the town people. Just start throwing gasoline in an already tense situation. And he he found the right political figure to get behind. And like you said, he's not the William Shatner we know. He's this very great actor in this movie. Not that, not that he had been good all these years, but he's very serious in this film, and playing this role and rallying up these people. With, you know, it's, you, you learn to hate this guy in this movie because he's basically just this big shit starter all through this small small town.
4: Oh, yeah. And the, the other thing that Corman does in here that's really smart, and I'm sure this was in the original novel, and that guy, as you said, uh, also was writing uh, uh, Twilight Zone and, and also did the script on this, is that uh, he references throughout the film that he's a member of the Patrick Henry Society. He's like, I'm a member of the Patrick Henry Society, and talks about the Patrick Henry Society. And uh, I looked up. Uh, it's completely fictional Patrick Henry Society But one group that had the last Was a three name You know group Called Society Was the John Birch Society Which was big In the 50s and 60s And they were anti-integration And they were anti-communist And all of these things That basically Shatner's character is spewing Is basically the platform Of the John Birch Society So, so in a way Corman and this writer Are um, critiquing not only anti-integrationists in that era, but also the John Birch Society, which was getting some traction in the um, sort of the uh, McCarthy era of the '50s. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about similar films, but it did remind oh, me of another one. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, it it reminded me of Brian Singer's first film, Public Access, <sighs> from, 19, from 1993. And I don't know, have you ever seen that one?
3: Well, I have no idea what that is. Tell, tell me, sir.
4: Yeah, Brian Singer, who we all know from the X-Men and all of that stuff, the the film he did before he did The Usual Suspects was a small film, independent film called Public Access. And what Public Access was was about a guy who comes to a small town and he gets a public access TV show and then uses that to, like, turn the town against itself. So through basically the power of the media and his personality, he – like tears the town apart and like has people fighting with each other and all of this stuff. So in, in a way, it kind of reminded me of that, the idea of this charismatic guy from outside who comes in to town just to uh, kind of stir it up.
3: Man, I haven't seen the movie, but I, I kind of liked you now. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, that was the role he played in the film. This is this, like I said, this big agitator just to see, I don't know if he had a purpose for this. That's a That's what threw me off. But like he just comes they just move on to the next town after this just to see what he gets there. up there. He's kind of like reverse Scatman Crothers in the Twilight Zone, the movie. You know, it just goes from place to place, you know, bringing death and damnation, And not, not necessarily death, but I thought for sure in the scene where, you know, of course, the one of the black kids is helping a white girl get something down in the basement, so he raped her, and, you know, this was a thing in this movie, but he didn't do it, and I thought for sure they were going to kill that, that black kid in the movie, because, uh, of course, uh, their biggest supporter, or like the biggest political guy they have besides, of course, Bill Shatner, who's just slapping this kid around, like getting the crowd riled up. I was like, holy shit. You know?
4: Yeah, I mean, and it's not only that, that the, uh, that the black people suffer in the town because of him, but also people who are um, more progressive or, you know, trying to deal with the integration and all of that stuff and the changes that are taking place. For example, it's Mr. McDaniel. Who I believe is like the newspaper publisher or editor, and he gets beaten up by a mob and ends up losing his eye in the film. And so there's all of this, you know, stuff that it's it's not the venom's not only directed at black folks, but it's also directed at white folks who want to, you know, keep the ball rolling forward and, and be a little bit more, um, you know, kinder to their fellow man.
3: Yeah, and then I think it plays real well that basically you know even 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 nowadays I, I live in town that's a majority white not by choice i just live here you know i always say i live here but i'm not a citizen because i'm just i just wasn't raised that way or is this filled with a bunch of old white farts who are pretty much afraid of even you know families moving in town that are a different color what if the property taxes go down people you know shit like that and it's real real stupid stuff and it even exists today. I mean, you talked about them about Selma in '62, and they had them given the 50th anniversary of that. And Obama's like, oh, and no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna shit on the man, but him saying, you know, no, oh, well, there's still lots of change for you to be in Selma. You can't stop folks from being assholes as long as they're within the law. I'm sorry, It's just you, you can't do it. That's why I just kind of look the other way at people, like especially like folks in this movie. It's like, yeah, they're just, they're just set in ways, you know, and I can't, I can't stop an asshole from being an asshole. And this film had a lot of assholes in it, people.
4: Well, the thing that's interesting is, uh, Corman's, uh, autobiography, which I read years ago. It was called, I think it was like how I made a hundred films in Hollywood and never lost a dime or something like that. Uh, this is the one film that he did lose money on. Uh, it didn't, he had trouble getting it booked in the South. Uh, it was put out under several different titles, including one called I Hate Your Guts, I think, um, and it, it just didn't do well. And I think that part of it was it was too of the time for people and probably theater bookers and certain parts of the country were not willing to sit down and, and have that kind of experience when they went to the film, especially when you look at all of Corman's stuff. This is kind of an outlier. I mean, this isn't a giant bug movie. This isn't, you know, some schlocky B sci-fi movie shot, you know, in two days. This is, you know, it's a, it's a message film. It's, it's got some serious stuff going on. And, you know, sadly for Corman, it was the one movie that didn't make any money. <laughs> so, But it it doesn't mean it's not any good. It's uh, it's really good.
3: And it's where the, you know, he's seen, not to, not that he's where they've known for all those things, but... He just stopped making movies like this, you know, that and I guess they weren't marketable, Like you said, he He lost money on this one. But I think it would have been nice for him to filter stuff like this into his career and just to say, this is the movie I want to make, so I'm going to make it. And I think that's basically what he did with this movie. This is the movie I want to make, so I'm going to make it. And he made a film, you know, a film that you can sit through and, like, get behind really, you know –
4: yeah, I mean, when you talk about social pictures in Corman, I think that you end up with more of him producing those kind of films, but they're couched more in exploitation. And what I mean by that is a big favorite of mine is Death Race 2000, and Death Race is a is a total social commentary film, but it's couched within a you know an action film. So you, you get social commentary in Corman's films i think more as a producer especially as you get into the 70s mm-hmm.
3: yeah i can I, I see that yeah and just, I, i've watched a lot of i've watched some of Corbin's stuff I, i've like stuck to um like the post stuff because that was always talked about pretty much the stuff that was talked about i watched i think i've watched more julie corbin stuff that i have watched roger corbin stuff though to the absolute truth it's just it's a generational thing really <laughs> you know she was yeah. she, she was putting stuff on vhs when i was writing vhs so there's uh, nothing wrong with that, you know. But <laughs> um, anything else you'd like to say about the intruder? If uh, you want to go, I don't know, the 2 plot-heavy in this film, but you know, we, we could if you'd like to.
4: No, I mean, I think it's one that people should seek out and see it, especially if they've never seen it and they're big um, Star Trek fans. I think it's uh, an interesting film to watch, considering on two levels. Like I said, we're not getting that cliche acting performance out of uh, Shatner that we see in his later career uh sort of based off of his characterization of Kirk and also it's interesting to watch a guy who is sort of like anti-everything that Star Trek would later be about because Star Trek is all about all these different races and everyone coming together to have a better <clears throat> future and his character in this movie is like nope Segregation's the way we will not give a, we will not give a, give it up. So it's interesting to watch, watch it in that perspective in terms of the, um, the thematics that shift between this and just a few years later, like I said, with star Trek.
3: Uh, yeah, good film all around. It was, it was a good experience. Only negative thing to really say about it. If you're sensitive about the N word. They use it quite a bit in this movie because, um, it's, it's just there. It's just of the time. Yeah.
4: But it's, it's also used, I would say, as Mel Brooks said in the right way, which uh, Mel Brooks said he got a lot of hate mail for Blazing Saddles from, he said, mostly liberal whites who didn't understand why he had to put that word in Blazing Saddles. And he said that the word is used in that film to show the ignorance of the people and that is how it's used in this film where it is used to show the venom and ignorance of those people it's not used in a fun way it's used to show like I said how just stupid and ignorant these people are
3: it comes out it's, it's done perfectly and, and I'm not I'm not complaining on myself because I've seen the film but you know somebody else who hasn't seen the film might be turned off by you know if we say oh they, they, they drop some n-bombs in the movie you know, not well. Pretty much early and sometimes often, because it's just these people. These people are set in their ways, like I said. You know, I, I thought with my grandmother a lot on this show because she influenced me somehow. with cinema, both my grandmothers. I'm so a grandmother who's 100 percent Sicilian. You know, she she played bingo with a black person. She'd probably sit outside the front porch with a black person, but I doubt she let them sleep in her house because she was a very superstitious person and she had a little racist bone in her feel because she was set in her ways. You know and these people in this film are using that word freely because they were set in their ways. They were afraid of new things and what was going to happen and black state and whites. And no, that would have been terrible. You know, come on now, the movie like this, the, the town might've burned down, but, um, yeah, but for that, then I'll uh, go right into scores here. Uh, one through 10. What do you give it for super op St. Mary? I'd, I'd give it like an eight
4: and a half, you know, I, I think it's really well done. um, Like I said, I think folks should uh, definitely seek it out. And I know that it's public domain now, so you can get it on YouTube, which is where I watched it. But uh, I I think it's one of those films that deserves to be cleaned up and respected and treated with a little more value than than most people, I think, uh, have of Corman's catalog. Because it is one of those movies that... Like I said, it was ahead of its time, and it was uh, pushing the boundaries in 1962. It's it's quite amazing to consider when it was made and how it was made.
3: Uh, yeah, I give it right around. I, I give it an eight because it's first time watch for me. I learned about it actually on a, the Corman documentary they put out, that Corman's World, I learned about it on there. And uh, I wanted to see this very different-looking Corman film, different-themed Corman film ever since I saw it on that documentary. And I, I wasn't disappointed. Uh, like Rob said, it's in public domain. You can watch it in full on YouTube. I think it's posted a couple times, so uh, no excuse, folks. Just go and uh, give it a watch, and if you want to, give us some feedback on the Facebook page and let me know what you thought about it. And uh, yeah, we'll go with that, and um, we'll shoot into our next feature right after this.
2: Uh, what we've got here is failure to communicate some men you just can't reach so you get what we had here last week which is the way he wants it. well he is I don't like it any
5: more than you think Look at
6: your young men fighting Look at your wind Young men dying, and dying, the
5: they fall away.
6: civil
2: about war
6: taking on a a little trip back to the islands.
2: What could be better than a return to the wilds?
5: We had a honeymoon there and she she hugged I can't fix it. I think we better check out this island and see what we can find.
2: What could be more inviting than a return to the past?
5: Hey, you guys. Look at this. It's like
6: we just walked to the 1920s. You guys, I think we
5: better take it easy, huh? That's all right, children. Been meaning to get rid of them old things anyhow.
2: These are the backwoods where time has a way of standing still.
5: Please don't wake baby. I'm going to dwell, and I'm going to have a birthday party.
2: But what harm could you come to playing with the children? Back to the old American way.
6: There will be no devil's play in this
2: house. That child never does finish a chore.
1: Is your friend coming or not?
2: you got to have patience, son. You should learn to read the good book. He who waits gets. American Gothic. Welcome home.
5: <laughs> You're it! I and mean, none of you never going to get off this island alive! My mom, bought me that!
2: Rod Steiger, Yvonne DiCarlo, Michael J. Pollard, American Gothic. Everybody's welcome to stay.
5: Pleased nice to meet you. I'm sure <laughs>
2: American Gothic. <laughs> uh,
3: American Gothic, to 1988. Uh, chief synopsis is this: on a, lone, on a lonely island in the Pacific Northwest, a group of travelers find themselves targeted by a crazed homicidal family. It's a 5.7 I.R.M.D.B. Uh, your TV star in this film is Yvonne De Carlo, who played Lily Munster on The Munsters. Uh, she is a uh, play simply plays simply called the Ma, Her character uh paw played by rod steiger you got a bunch of no names in this movie but the one that i recognize the most is michael j pollard who plays one of the brothers woody because i see him in so many things so you know and i never disappoint the performance he has so i guess i'll, I'll take the lead on this one this uh this picture here oh you got something to say rob i'm sorry
4: yeah, Michael J Pollard to me is like the William H Macy of his generation. He whenever he shows up even if it is a weird little film, you know, that the acting's going to be good and his character's going to be interesting. So, it's always like I was like, "Oh, yes, Michael J Pollard." And then um the only other one I had to look it up because the the there's a uh, sort of a adult girl who is in the family and and I say adult girl because well she's obviously a woman but they like dress her up and treat her like she's nine or something, <sighs> and I thought it was Eileen Brennan and I was like no it looks like Eileen Brennan so I looked it up and I was like ah sadly it is not Eileen Brennan but uh, you know was a private Benjamin fan when I was a kid anyway yeah
3: I was uh, I watched that when I was a kid too I can't say I loved like a, like Wildcats but I watched Private Private Benjamin sometimes um. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, she ran into this basically. It, it basically these these it starts out with a woman. She she's in a mental institution, I guess, or some kind of hospital. She's getting out from a... Uh, you you find out in flashbacks that she let her baby drown in a bathtub by accident. This traumatizes woman to be uh, be institutionalized, and so her husband and their, their several white friends decide to go on a plane trip. Their plane malfunctions. They're 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 forced to land on this island which is inhabited by a group of they find a, you know, all this old-timey stuff like Saturday Evening posts and funny ass inside of a house. And the house belongs to Ma and Pa, who don't have a last name, but they're played by the Roger Steiger and Ivan Carlo, And they're crazy fucking family. I mean, not crazy, but they seem like, you know, they're, they're really nice and really homey, you know. If you're, you're, you're this really richy, yuppie type people, you might suspect people like this of being nuts and... They were not disappointed in their craziness because eventually you meet their children. Like you mentioned, I I think her name is Sissy. Was her name Sissy in the movie?
4: I think so. They just all have sort of these generic names. (laughs) You know, we don't really know who they are and all that stuff. It's just mom, pa, and, you
5: know.
3: Her name was Fanny. Fanny is uh, with the sister, and she, like, like you mentioned, she dresses in little girl dresses. She has a Shirley Temple haircut, and... She talks like she's nine. She has a baby apparently, which you find out a very morbidly is not a baby at all, but a skeleton of a baby, a real skeleton. And and um, Woody, as I mentioned, Michael J. Pollard is with her skinny, like a slicker wearing brother, and Teddy is the big old chunky, you know, burly brother, and they all live in this house with their crazy ma and pa, and they take to these yuppies like like a like a duck to water, but with really weird intentions. Uh, What was your um, take on this film there, Rob?
4: Well, I want more of that swing set. I think the swing set is uh, quite amazing, a way to kill someone. Yes. Uh, Basically, they have this giant swing set uh, built with these, you know, giant logs. And they swing the guy on the swing set and then they cut the ropes and he goes flying over the cliff. Um, so I I thought that was an interesting, uh, interesting death. I mean, it kind of follows a lot of the um crazy family movies. I think that's kind of a horror genre unto itself. Obviously, the most famous of the crazy family movies is uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but uh, it's not quite that dark, it's not quite that bloody, brutal, um, you know, horrible. Um, it is totally 80s if, if you need an 80s fix, which includes like music that sounds like it was in Miami Vice over the uh, credits. Yeah, what was that? Big feathered hair. Uh, feel free because there's tons of it. Um, you get a lot of it in this movie. Oh,
3: yeah. I, 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 liked, I liked every character. Well, I, I liked every character except for the yuppies the, the in this movie because the family was on point.
4: Uh, well, I mean, that's that's the whole idea. The whole idea is to make your um, your victims seem uh, not 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 people you want to be around. And then when they start getting bumped off, you're kind of like yay. And then you realize how crazy the family is. And then you're like, oh, they're not nice either. So you're kind of stuck. And then and then there's a little bit of a twist in the end on this. At least I thought it was a little bit of a twist. Oh, I so, thought
3: it was too. It's kind of yeah. kind of crazy. But I, I, I like the, where this goes. Where they like take them in. And like they do all this stuff and they just find out how worthless these people are. They're very, they're very, you know, condescending. It's condescending to these families you here. They're mean right away. So, of course, like you mentioned, you see the the, the swing death, which is, <laughs> it makes me giggle. I don't know. I knew it was dead.
4: But that always seems to be a trope in these uh, crazy family movies. I mean, even if, like I said, I already mentioned it, you go back to Texas Chainsaw, where they pick up the hitchhiker and they start going, oh, really? You know, I mean, they kind of treat the hitchhiker with, you know, disdain, you know, those people. So it's – this seems to be a trope where you get the crazy family, but the people that stumble upon the crazy family are not necessarily – Likable either, so it, I, I guess it's a way for filmmakers to kill off a large number of people and and have us kind of root for their deaths.
3: I, I love uh, Yvonne DiCarlo in this movie. She 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 plays the role so well because she for like most of the time that they're killing people, she she's acting in a way that she doesn't know they're killing people on screen, but she she does she does know obviously because she's just sitting there like whether with whether with needles you find out her with a razor sharp. And they can be used as, uh, <laughs> as murder weapons. And, you know, and uh, I love that, that, that whole, the whole deal with their in, in PAW, just being these laid-back country folk. And, you know, they're, they're involved at all until, of course, you know, you get the big reveal that, yes, they are involved. And, yes, they are controlling these children and telling them what to do. To, to a point where one of them shoots somebody in the forest with a, a, a suction cup, bow, and arrow. Just to say, you think that's bad. What do you see? Mom, Pa are gonna do to you? Which leads you to believe that Mom, Pa are crazy, crazier, than crazier than they are, really. You know, and um, I love, I love this whole the, the, the Stockholm syndrome ending of this film, where the girl sees the the brother getting getting booked for. I guess the the Teddy, the the the, 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 the very spelt chunky uh, brother. There's a scene where he. Um, knocks out the bitchy friend or kill He kills the bitchy friend. I think because he, he, he chokes her out, I believe. And he is going to have sex with her dead body. And I think this happens off screen because he rips off her panties and he's really looking very seductively at her. Well, Paul does not approve because what he told him all about it, apparently. So he starts to whoop Teddy with a, a switch. He starts to whoop with the stick, you know, very Southern style and, this turns something off into your turn something on your, your final girl to basically guhbo gabo guhbo gabo. You will make us one of us. She became one of them, or did she? Because you get that twist in the end, where you know she's basically goes batshit crazy in the family. And just starts killing everybody, especially what sets her off is you know the drowning baby thing because the psycho Fanny has. <laughs> has a bathtub she pretends to turn on and something switches off in her brain but the baby's gonna drown and and she hits Fanny over the head with this old-fashioned washtub and kills Fanny and then she just lays to waste the whole fucking family except for Pa who's out hunting rabbits, you know and that whole deal, that whole scene made the whole film for me that she made that switch and then, you know, something else turned on you got this crazy woman who's crazier than this whole goddamn family probably and The part at the end where she gets Pa's gun, she shoots Pa, and then is she still crazy? Is she not still crazy? You can't tell. And that's what I love about the end of this film.
4: That's why it works. And, um, you know, I guess maybe I could uh, stack this movie up against a couple of others that I watched recently and ship them over to Mr. uh, M. Knight and go, you want to make a twist ending again? (coughs) Watch these because these kind of work. Yeah, so
3: there you I, go. This is one of those ones that I've I seen on VHS shelves that they sat there and sat there and sat there and never picked it up. And I figured this would be a good run for me to have an excuse to watch this film because Ivana Carlos in it. She was a pretty big TV icon of the Munsters. And I figured, why not? Why not do American Gothic? And I'm damn glad oh. I did because I was, I was blown away by, by just the ending of this film. The, the old the old Tays of the film was kind of redundant and crazy. It's just another you know, crazy redneck film where when it takes that sure that you didn't see coming, it made it, it made it really special. And uh, I'm glad I got to see it. You know? <laughs> There you go. Uh any other thoughts for you on this film? I've been taking up all this fucking time, man. I'm sorry. No, no.
4: Uh it's it's not bad. Um if it was one that I don't think I would have sought out to watch on my own. So uh thank you for um throwing this on the list.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it's it's I always tell folks come my, my best ideas while I'm sitting on the John and that's kind of personal but whatever it's it's, it's there and, uh, sometimes uh great ideas come to you in the strangest places and this was a uh, whatever show idea I I'd just throw it up on the page and say what do you guys think okay we'll do it you know it's just one of those things where this came up and yeah I'm glad uh we'll do grades now though ratings I mean uh, one through ten what are you gonna rub
4: uh, I'd give it like a seven, maybe six and a half, somewhere in there. I mean, it, it, it's it's not uh, it's not great, it's not horrible. It's serviceable. It's fun. Uh, it's interesting. I think the ending works. So uh, yeah, and like I said, Michael J. Pollard, as I consider him the William H. Macy of his generation. So uh, always nice to see him and things.
3: Um. Yeah. For me, it's a it's a, it's a, it's a solid seven. But, you know, if that, that last 20 minutes didn't happen, it might have been a solid four. But that, 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 that ending gave it that three extra points, that little oomph that really brought my grade, my, my rating up.
4: It takes a while to get there. Just put it that way. Like if uh, I don't think you can make this film today with, you know, attention spans the way they are. So it's it definitely takes a little while to get there. It's probably a half hour at least before you get anything. And then it and then it starts moving.
3: I wouldn't even call it a slow burn, you know, that because it just kind of happens, which is kind of wonderful. A lot of films nowadays, lots, especially horror films, give you that slow burn. I'm, I'm talking to you, Ty West, but <laughs> that either really works or in my case, my feelings, it is they're very public about Ty West and I, I don't really care for him. And he does that slow burn stuff that can either really work for you or really shit the bed. And, uh, yeah, this film really worked for me because it had – Slow burn, first 30 minutes. There's uh, that, that pace where it goes really, really fast. They're, they're really acting crazy right neck like. And he had that ending that just, you know, really sells the film into being not like the others. So, yeah, big winner, American Gothic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we'll shoot in their uh, last review right after this.
4: Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth Podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay.
1: But we think it's time that you have.
4: We've been doing this for over three years now.
1: And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week
4: we look at a different film and put it in context. We try
1: to bring you interviews with the people behind the films.
4: Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film.
1: We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We
4: try to examine every aspect of cinema. From
1: every corner of the globe. Even
4: at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're
1: ready. We're ready for you to listen to
4: us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalow. Or our website, Projection-Booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to
5: He knows it's out there. He knows
2: it's waiting. You can't see it in the daytime. You can't escape it at night. It's not really alive. But it's not quite dead.
3: What's going on over there?
2: The whole unit's acting
3: weird. 45 degrees in there. The are on a roller coaster.
5: get
6: out of here. Uh. What in the hell is going on here?
5: The bedroom! Don't go in the bedroom! We uh. have to
6: stop. Now, we can do it. we going to need your help.
3: Life from 1989. Uh, your rating on IMDb is a 5.7. Uh, your plot synopsis is this Archie is a brain at a small town high school who works part time at his uncle's mortuary and is harassed by a few of the popular kids because of it. His harassers die in an automobile accident. The bodies are taken to his uncle's mortuary. Archie is playing a late night shift at the mortuary when he sees a storm brewing. Lightning strikes, they're alive. The preppy boys continue to torment him as zombies. Uh, your cast for this film is uh Scott Grimes is some of you might know him as uh Brad Brown from the Critters films and of course uh, he plays Stan's, uh, he plays Steve Smith on American Dad that voice, yeah, if you guys watch that show I enjoy that show uh, John Aston who is your 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 TV show, he really played Gomez Adams on the Adams family of course and he plays as a mort- mortician uncle there's a couple of Names that I recognize, I just can't really uh, tell you exactly what I've seen. I know I've seen see the Moss and things. I think she's in a Friday or two, or one of the mm-hmm. Fridays. Yeah. Um, Mark Pellegrino, one, I'm sorry, go ahead.
4: One girl who's in here, and if you have the listing up in front of you, she plays the character of Charlie. Oh, uh, yeah. She was in, um, which would be a year later, one of my favorite little teenage high school movies uh pump up the volume. Yeah, she was. Yeah. So, she's the only one I really recognized outside John Aston obviously. I mean, who doesn't know Gomez Adams? I mean, come on. The uh the, the one thing that was interesting was I looked up the director because I wanted to see what else this guy had done and supposedly he's uncredited but supposedly responsible for the um the massive disaster that was the uh, Star Wars Christmas special 1977-78.
3: It, it entertains me, sir. So, that's that's he did a good job there.
4: Life day, everyone. Life day.
3: <laughs> the only other actor I recognized was uh, Mark Pellegrino, who's been done a bunch of things. But, um, I'm a Supernatural fan, the TV show. And he played Lucifer for like a half a season on that show. So, if you like Supernatural, you've probably seen him on there. Pretty, pretty prominent character on that show. And they did the whole heaven and hell, angels versus demons thing, and, which is still a pretty common theme on that show. So, yeah, I, I enjoy that show. But um, I'll let you take the lead on this one, sir. What are your initial thoughts and, you know, or thoughts altogether on this movie?
4: Well, there's a couple that came to mind. The first is uh, at least the first half of the film has this real sort of like after school special vibe. I just get this like teenage, you know, movie made for teenagers kind of thing going on. Uh, the, the other thing that I thought was funny is the Scott Grimes uh, as an actor – I know he wasn't 14 when he made this movie, but he looks like he's 14 up against all of the other kids in high school who look like they're about 30 to 35. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's this obvious size difference. And I'm just like, really? What did you guys get held back 12 years in high school? Is that why you're still there? Because they all look like they're having to hit the um, the Grecian formula to keep the, uh, the gray hairs from popping up because they all look old.
3: And it's a common trope in a lot of these films. Even as even earlier than this, I remember uh, watching Slaughter High and thinking, you know, why are these kids? They don't seem the teenagers at all. You find out that like Carolyn Monroe was like 35 when she made that movie or something, and but she just played like she was 17. So this is this isn't a new thing amongst these uh, adults playing teens and things, especially now in, in this era.
4: Yeah, because if you put actual teenagers in something, people go, "What is this? Uh, you casting elementary school kids? What's going on?"
3: Yeah, that's that's a that's always strange. I guess they they grow up a little faster nowadays. You can look, but you can't touch children. You know, but I mean, that that's that's fine. But um, what are some stuff that you know you say you know a couple things about this film? Uh, what else do you uh, notice about the uh, film?
4: Well, first, like I said, it has this sort of after school special vibe, and then, um, it has this wackiness at times, like where he's carting the body of that woman around on his back and John Aston's like what are you doing? And then the guy shows up and it's like what are you doing with my mother's body and all this stuff? So there's this kind of like wackiness vibe. There's the um, the obvious trope of most high school films I would definitely say in that era where there's always the geeky kid and he's being knuckled under by the jocks so that's kind of a, a cliche trope that we see all the time and um, but it seems like Uh, When I was watching it, maybe the last 20 minutes or so, I'm like, is this the same movie? Like there was just like a moment where I was like, I can't believe this is the same film because all of this stuff, as you said, this like zombie plot kind of pops up. And you didn't really like kind of expect that.
3: Well, the, the problem with this film and, you know, is that they're still they die in this car accident conveniently and are brought back to uncle's mortuary conveniently and then they're struck by lightning, can be and brought back to life. And But the problem with these zombies in particular, they're not really zombies at all. They're more like reanimated Jason corpses, but they're still teens. So they're still pretty spry. They can jump down from things. They can move just like they would if they were still bullying. But now they just have more of a purpose. Like, we're dead, so we have nothing to lose. Let's just go fuck with this kid till he dies. Him and his, his mechanic girlfriend or whatever she is to him, you know. And the fact that they, 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 didn't, they didn't miss a step, in fact, some of the fact that they can't talk, you know, so that they're, I guess, they're less douchey. they're more like, just, they turn from uh, their fast cars to homicide with a the, with the, with the bolt of lightning. Kind of really blew my mind that these are really zombies, they're just like reanimated assholes, you know.
4: <laughs> That's what they should have called it. They just, that should have been the title. <laughs>
3: Um, but yeah, when it all goes down, which I think is very short-lived in this film, you know, because it being a, a zombie film, it takes a long time to get there. And, uh, it
4: takes too long. It takes too long to get there. That was the problem I had with it. You know, I mean, I understand sort of setting up the world in which we're in, but then again, it's probably one of those you know deals like the line in Ed Wood: "I don't care whatever you shoot, just make sure it's seven reels long." So it's probably one of those things where they knew that this, they had to pad this thing out a little bit because it kind of drags.
3: Yeah, and I just said those when I was, was titles i seen on the VHS shelf, and I knew John Aston was in it, so I was like, let's do it for a show. I never got a chance to see this movie, so the fact that <laughs> that was my only bearing on picking it for this movie, not to no, know, to pick you know, TV icons gone wild, I picked John Aston, who has a character in this film, is very tame, but the, the fact that I didn't kill, pick Return of the Killer Tomatoes doesn't anger me, because I just did it on sloppy seconds like episode three, so I didn't want to go... Say, hey, let's tell the movie again. But he is batshit crazy. We're trying to kill tomatoes, at John Addison. And um, this movie, he's kind of uptight and tame. He's not the charismatic Gomez Adams like you see on TV. He's just like this, you know, worried guy. He's going to fire this kid the drop the hat if he fucks up again, you know. And, ugh. Like I said, the zombie stuff came, it was too little too late. You know, once they were in pursuit of our, uh, Charlie, the the mechanic, and uh, Brad Brown. I forget his name. I'm going to call him Brad Brown from uh, they, they in pursuit, and they there seem to be unstoppable machines until they beat a wood chipper, and then all bets are off. And, uh, yeah,
4: so, I mean, maybe this was an influence on uh, Fargo. Who knows?
3: It's a very dark film, too. I know we watch it on YouTube, and it wasn't going to be as good a quality, but still, the, the stuff that you saw, especially after you, they got lit on fire, so the zombies were even darker, so you
4: didn't see much of there anyway. Well, I knew that we were in trouble uh, from the opening credits. And you know why? Because this is always a giveaway, usually, with 80s movies. Is that if the credit sequence is cheap, it looks cheap, like the actual text looks like it was done with a video toaster or something. Yeah. Then you know you're in trouble. And that's that's kind of what I was like, oh, man. I'm like, these credits were done... On someone's Commodore 64 or something. This is terrible.
3: Yeah, it kind of was. But I've seen movies that I enjoyed with crappy credits like that too. So um, I forget what we just did Chud Two, but the Shed for sloppy seconds, and that's a movie I love, and it had really crappy looking credits like that. You know.
4: I mean, you guys couldn't spend I don't know, probably five hundred dollars to have the Optical House do it for you. I mean, it's like can't be that expensive to get some decent credits.
3: Hmm. But this is made for a very niche VHS market, I guess uh, I don't think this ever came to theaters. But I imagine, you know, it did, it was a very small, small run. But it was made for that VHS market. I think they would spend a lot of a whole, a whole bunch of money on it, so I guess they figured just throwing these cheap credits out there.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the film would have worked better if they, were, instead of it being like, oh, all of a sudden there's this thing, and then they were reanimated, because there's really nothing that leads us to that. Like there's nothing before it happens that tells us that it could happen. No. So so maybe if there would have been like, I don't know, like a zombie cat or someone's neighbor, you know, was reanimated. So we go, okay, well what the fuck is that? You know, like in the first ten minutes or so, in the first reel of the film, then it would be like, Oh, okay. Then then maybe uh plotting wise it would have it would have seemed like it worked as opposed to just going, All right, just throw this in there. It almost kind of feels like Like I said, someone took an after-school special script and then merged it with uh, a script about, you know, gearhead teenagers who like to uh, torment geeks, and then they threw zombies at it. It just kind of feels like uh, someone was playing Mad Libs over there with the script.
3: Yeah, very very dartboard. You know, just throw throw, throw a dart at the board and see what you come up with. Uh, The teens... not i seeing zombies were hot back in those days. They were kind of on, on the outskirts back in those days it really took, uh, I think, Sabini's um, Night of Living Dead remake to reboot the zombie genre. But these kids are more like Frankenstein zombies, you know, because they were, like, invincible, basically, whereas zombies are very slow. These Frankenstein teens were very spry. They could jump down off of, you know, platforms and down on the ground and they could not miss a beat. So that was kind of unbelievable that these people were dead, dead corpses and, still be able to move like they were, so they were in hot pursuit of these guys, whereas, you know, it didn't work in Phantasm 3, that's all I'm saying, so the, those those zombie people in Phantasm 3, and it really worked really horribly here, and for that, it's going to get a little low grade for me, and I, uh yeah, I can say that I saw Nightlife now.
4: <laughs> you know, I, I, I kept waiting for that song to come on the soundtrack, but sadly it didn't, so.
3: <laughs> but, um, Getting any more thoughts on nightlife, sir? Uh, Now's the time.
4: No more thoughts (laughs) on this one. This one is uh, limiting on thoughts. I mean, I kind of feel like of the three, we've gone in uh, descending order from the best to the worst. So,
3: yeah, kind of, yeah. I think that, yeah, yeah. We're going to rate ratings now. I keep saying grades. It's it's the wrong ratings. One through 10, Rob. What do you give nightlife?
4: You know, um, it's. I, I just give it a. I'll just give it a five because there's nothing in it that elevates it to so good it's bad, and there's nothing in it that elevates it to so bad it's bad. It's just kind of stuck in the middle. There's, you know, it, it it's serviceable. Um, it has a couple. Like I said, it it has a couple of holes for me that don't make. You know. Um, like I said, it was that dartboard Mad Libs version of uh, script, I guess, but uh, or plot. But uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's after you've seen every movie on the planet and you still have a couple left, then this one should be on that list. So it's, it's one of those.''t don't, don't, don't rush out and see it now. Uh, get all those other like 10,000 movies out of the way that you got to watch. So then see this one.
3: Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. and I'm trying to go with a lower score than you. I've been about a three and a half on this film. Because I think there's a whole lot going on in it. There's not a whole lot of, you know, redeeming qualities to make me say, you know what, if they did this right, they did this wrong. You know, it's, like you said, they, they have nothing to explain to why these why these folks could be turned into Franken-teens, you know, all of a sudden in Power Surge. And uh, it's, just, it's just, it takes too long to get going, like I said. So with that, I get three and a half. For a film that was made at this time, you know, for the, the niche VHS market which are pretty much the go-go time of the the late 80s and early 90s, where you have a concept, you go with it, and you go for 80 minutes with that concept. This took about 45, 50 minutes to get to the point, and that's that's too long for a film like this.
4: uh, Yeah, I mean, really, the only way that you can do that is if you have enough stuff along the way to keep people, you know, wondering what's going to happen next. And it's not... It's not plotted like that. It's not that tight of a plot. So therefore, it just takes forever to get there. And by the time it gets there, you really don't care.
3: Yeah, that, that's that's the main, the big, the big, huge problem with this film. That's why I give a low rating, which normally we give a film like this a low rating. I, I'm not being a swung bastard. just didn't really do it for me. And uh, with that, we'll come back and we'll close out the show.
1: looking for something different in your podcast library then why not check out the podcast under the stairs i'm the host duncan mcleish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favorites as well as some modern classics that's not to say that we don't tackle some of the let's say more questionable entries into the horror genre And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, the Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off.
6: Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of
2: it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast,
6: known to be the source of life since Eve, can be
0: deadly weapons?
6: And body counts.
2: Mathematics of Murder and menace.
6: The BBNBC podcast discusses lesser known action, exploitation, and horror cult cinema. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and SoundCloud by searching for BB and BC podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly on the show's website at BadassesBoobs and Got the goddamn
2: message. Let's go to work.
0: <gasps> My films! Oh, gimme, gimme, gimme!
6: Ah, Chinema.
0: Porkies, meatballs too. Enjoy your crap fest. I'll <laughs> oh, go read the Bell Jar, you poser. Klaus, prepare to feast your eyes on the majestic grandeur of the silver screen. Welcome to Central High, where the kids. Really get away with murder. Meet the in crowd at Central High. Did you do that.
6: <laughs> no, I do better work, with.
0: Bruce, Mark, Teresa, Craig, and Paul. This year, the in crowd has a problem. Because this year, there's a new kid at Central. You know what the student lounge? huh? David, this place is a maze. we will get used to it. And David doesn't like to be pushed around. already started a fight, okay? That's reason enough to waste him, except he beats you, all of you. And if you were thinking straight, man, you'd realize he's a good guy to have with us. Okay, Mark. Talk to me. They're already getting edgy about the way you've been acting playing with fire you tell them the same thing i said get out of there you're not talking to one of your stooges How oh, dare you are david lives by the golden rule do one to others and make it permanent many popular sports at Central High. But this year, the most popular sport is murder. Look, you've got three minutes.
6: We're staying.
0: I've warned you, that's all I can do. Welcome to Central High. You're just in time for a massacre. A massacre at Central High. Three
6: blind mice. Three blind mice. Heather Chandler. Heather McNamara. Heather Duke. Veronica Sawyer.
5: Woo! Why are you such a mega brat? Because I can be.
6: The most powerful click at Westerberg.
5: veronica drool much
6: most people would die to get into it heather number one just looked
0: right at me i'm worshiped westerberg and i'm only a junior
6: veronica would kill to get out of it
0: you were nothing before you met me you were a girl scout cookie
6: jd has come to answer her prayers
0: i'm a no rust build-up man myself we'll kill her
6: He's got a way with women, oh, oh, oh. Oh. a way with words.
0: This is this as good for you as it is for me? Life
6: And a very special way with a gun. Veronica can't live with him.
2: Help. I love my dead gay son.
6: And she can't live without him.
5: Does this turn out weak or what? Had at least seventy more people at my funeral. What?
6: Their meeting was destiny.
5: That knife is filthy.
6: What do you think I'm going to do with it? Take out her tonsils? Huh. Their love has huh? a body count. I loved you. I was coming up here to kill you. That's it.
5: We're breaking up. Young love.
6: Heather's a killer comedy.
2: I'm going to have to send my SAT scores to San Quentin instead of Stanford. Class of
5: 1984. Class of
0: 1984. Their only goal is power. I run this school, man. Their only law is survival.
1: If you want to survive around here, you have got to learn to look the other way.
0: Their only allegiance is to themselves. Still believe in all that bullshit that holds it together?
2: I pledge allegiance!
5: Otherwise,
0: you have done me right. Like this.
6: Hey, look what he done, man! He tried to kill me!
0: Somebody's gotta stop this insanity. Well, you simply cannot afford
2: to fail this class. Now, what is the answer? <gasps>
5: I am the future. I am the future. Ah! I am the future. But you've taught before, nothing like this has ever happened.
0: All right, I got to deal with it. Who's going to protect you?
5: Yeah! Ah! 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 Ah!
1: Oh, later.
0: He's one man trained to deal with students, but they've pushed him to the limit. They've gone too far. Now he's going to give the class of
2: 1984 the lesson they deserve. Oh. Class of 1984. Is this the future?
5: Take a look in my face. You should have seen the four of them.
6: People worshipped them and cursed them, but everybody wanted to be them.
5: Courtney was the leader. All right, girls, out.
6: She was like Satan in heels and Marcy was her henchman. I don't think we've met what with the cruel
5: politics of high school at all.
2: At a school like Reagan High, being the teen dream can be a little hard to swallow.
5: It is with deep dismay
6: that I inform you
5: that Elizabeth Purr. I heard she choked on a jawbreaker. <laughs> that is so cool.
4: <laughs> Are you Courtney Ella, Shane? Maybe. No.
2: I'm Detective Vera Cruz. One detective will try to find the face that fits the facts.
6: You ever seen one of these before? No. No? Take a lot of licks to get one of these things down. It's hard. You
5: frighten me.
6: Love it.
2: From TriStar Pictures.
6: You like it? It's okay. There's nothing kinky about okay now, is there?
1: Can you say
0: free? <laughs> Comes the battle between the babes.
1: She's so evil.
6: And she's only in high school. It's
2: over, Courtney.
6: I am petrified.
2: Jawbreaker.
5: Any idea what that means? You were shooting for prom queen?
3: As you're from that barrage of trailers, uh, our next show, which is going to be titled Killer Kids and Privileged Bitches, we're going to do Massacre at Central High with Class of 1984 with Heathers and Jawbreaker. So four films for you guys to discuss and we'll, I guess, uh, get into. Our special guest for that show will be another than a friend of the program and constant contributor to the two drink room commentaries, uh, Suzanne Capoletti. and uh, it should be a good time. Actually, be back for that one. Like I said, got our wires crossed, but um, Rob, tell the folks you got going on. Can to push anything, sir?
4: Well, you know, uh, thank you for having me on the show. It was uh, it's always nice to to guest on other people's uh, podcasts, always a lot of fun, and uh, Projection Booth is what I do, new show every Wednesday, projection-booth.com, you can follow us on iTunes, we have a free app, if you have an Android, or a um, an iPhone, or one of those Kindle Fire deals, you can get our free app and keep up to date on uh, our latest shows, the upcoming shows. And um, coming up soon, we have uh, such uh, fun, fabulous classics as uh, Rollerball, Requiem for a Dream, Rock and Roll High School, and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting about uh, 50 other ones that we have programmed for the rest of the year.
3: You guys always got a lot of irons in the fire on that show, and I love that. So, thanks, sir. I'm a I'm a disorganized uh, you know, fuck on this end, but you know, whatever. I I, I try to put out a good product. So. <laughs>
4: Hey, that's all that matters, man, as long as you have a good time.
3: Even films like night, films like Nightlife, uh, which you try to do, you know, we try our best not to hate it, but it was really hard, you know? <laughs> but with that, yeah, always um, check out the Facebook group. You guys can join up with that. And check out the pinned posts for all the shows that are going to happen or have guests already. If you guys want to be a guest in the show, feel free to uh, private message me or comment on there, and uh, we can make it happen. I always enjoy talking to folks about film and life in general. Uh, we have some of the running iTunes contests going on. If you want to go rate and review us on iTunes, any show I produce this, select seconds, the Burn the beard, the two, two commentaries. You have four chances to win. Uh, some fabulous prizes, including a couple of, a few 11 by 17 posters, uh, one signed by Jeffrey Combs, which is a reanimator poster, uh, puppet master poster uh, signed by Charles Band. Uh, Danny Trejo signed a, a machete poster for me. I have an extra. So that's that's for you folks if you guys want to do that. Uh, I got a couple of random Blu-rays for you guys to, to win their region one. So it might help you folks in the U.K. or wherever you live if you guys want that. If you have a regionless player, you guys can do those rubber grabs. And I uh, added to Sweet in the Pot, I have an extra Punisher Pop Vinyl figure for you guys to enjoy and uh, put on your shelf and play with if you want to, you know, take it out of the box. <laughs> But, um, yeah, all those things are up for grabs. I'll put, if you guys get about 20 or twenty reviews or so, or 15 reviews, I'll put a name in the hat and, you know, I'll just shuffle it up and see what suit I pull out to win those fabulous prizes. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, check me on Twitter at GW. I'll check out X on the Kiss the Goat podcast, the Six and a Half Under podcast. Those are both on the Horror Philly Network of Podcasting. You can find them on Facebook as Jeffrey X. Martin. And as uh, Jeffrey, at Jeffrey X. Barton on Twitter. So he's not here, so I'm telling you all these things. See you guys. I'm, I'm a nice guy. But uh, <laughs> thanks for coming to the show again, Rob. It's been a pleasure.
4: No problem, sir.
3: And uh, with that, here at the Cibb Beef Podcast, if you got beef, we've got the grinder. See you guys next time.